What's up, everybody, and welcome to our third week of this series, This is Momentum. Now, if you haven't been around for this, you need to know here's what we're up to. We're building culture in this series. We're talking about who God's called us to be as a faith community, and we're anchoring our values in Scripture week after week. Now, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. I can't do this without you, because here's what we know. To build a culture, you got to be a culture. So if we're talking about building momentum into this beautiful place that shines, that welcomes, that extends salvation, where hope is found, people meet Jesus and know Jesus and all these great things, it's us together leaning into who God has called us to be that is actually going to make this culture happen. I could talk about it all I want. Well, the power is unleashed when we as a community lean into these things and decide, hey, I'm going to be this in Jesus' name. I'm going to be a part of this church community and I'm going to do my part when it comes to building this community. Now, a little review for you over and over and over in this series. I'm going to say this till I'm blue in the face because we have a mission as a church and I want to be painfully clear about it. So clear that it starts to get uncomfortable and awkward, okay? So here's our mission. We want to help people meet Jesus, know Jesus, and make the world better and brighter in Jesus' name. Now, again, I told you I'm going to get awkward with it, okay? So I don't care if you're at a coffee shop, in your car by yourself, in the living room. I don't care if the laptop's open and you're sitting on the couch somewhere. I need you to say these underlying words with me. Our mission is to help people meet Jesus, know Jesus, and make the world better and brighter in Jesus' name. Now, we've kind of covered these first two. We've talked about the power and hope and salvation that are unleashed when people truly meet Jesus. Last week, we talked about being a church that doesn't settle for kiddie pool Christianity. We want to dive into knowing Jesus and knowing Him personally. And this week, we're going to look at the scripture that sits underneath these words, making the world better and brighter in Jesus' names. But uh, as we approach this scripture, I got to tell you guys something. I'm concerned. I'm concerned that we're going to get to these words and some of you are going to think it is simply Jesus telling you to be a nice person. I'm concerned that we're going to look at these words And some of you are thinking the message today is simply about being polite and kind to people around you. When in reality, Jesus is giving us a challenge and a strategy to transform and renew the world around us for His name, His fame, His glory, and the salvation for real people. And I'm concerned we cannot go into this passage taking it lightly, thinking Jesus is just talking about good table manners and move on with our lives. If you think Jesus is talking being nice, you're going to miss Him. Hold on to that while we dive into the Scripture together. Matthew 5, 13 through 16, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. 
A town on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Do not go walking by King Jesus, give him a little pat on the head, say, I got it, I'll smile a little bigger, I'll hold the door for somebody, and I'll quit cussing at work. Do not go give Jesus a little wink, thinking you can run by these words and go on with your life doing whatever it is you want the way you want to do it. Do not forget that your Christian brothers and sisters 2,000 years ago took these words that we are sitting underneath today to heart, and they simply believed that it was their job to live out these Jesus commands. And in a day where there was no Christian songs on the radio, no church buildings, no Catholics, no Methodists, no even evangelicals. There was no nothing, no podcast, no sermons, no YouTube. This group of people took this command and it fueled them to love and to serve and to shine. And they loved and served and shined and loved and served and shined until the Roman Empire bent itself around the life of Jesus. They loved and served and shined until history itself was bent around the life of Christ to this day. These are powerful words. Now, we're going to unpack them piece by piece. If you're a note taker, you could start with this big phrase right here. It's bordering a run-on sentence. I did that back in English class, and I'm going to do it today, but you can't afford to miss a single syllable here. You could write this down if you're a note taker. God's plan has always been people who will engage a fallen world and I must decide how I will engage. You could go ahead and squeeze the sides of the phone, screenshot that, because that is the idea that is going to flow to us from this text today. God's plan has always been a people who will engage a fallen world, and I must decide how I will engage. If we are studying the Bible, if, if I was doing Bible study by myself and I had this passage in front of me, it would look something like this. Or if we, if we could afford one of those $15,000 TVs where I can underline stuff like they do on ESPN, I would be underlining these phrases for you and pulling out the engagement language that we see in this text. Now, this is probably small all on your screen right now. I'll try and make it bigger on my next one and key you in on these words. Now listen to the engagement language here. Of the earth, of the world, on its stand, it gives light to everyone, not just people in the church, not just under the roof of a church building. Let your light shine where before others. So why? They see your good deeds. We are meant to be a people that engage the fallen world around us. These words don't allow us to sit comfortably within the walls of a church building a little kingdom of our own. Guys, this is not this new Jesus idea. This is the heart of God cover to cover in the scriptures. Jeremiah 29 has some gold in it. Now here's the deal. Um, most of us, or many of us, know that 29-11, it's the 
uh, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and a hope and a future. People love that. I mean, you've probably seen that on somebody's wall before, but I'll tell you where the gold is. It starts in verse 4 because here's what happens in this day. This is a text for when the people of God have been invaded. Judea, the Jerusalem, Israel has been invaded by Babylon and an exile is happening. Now, if you don't know what that means or you're not familiar with the way things went back in the day, when I invade your country, I can do one of two things. One, there's genocide. And I could just decide that we're going to totally eradicate your people. But it's messy, it spreads disease, and it's costly. The other option is an exile. And I take your people and I send them to all the different cities of my kingdom. I spread them out, take them into my land. And if you want to trade, if you want to adapt, if you want to go to school, if you want to participate in society, you have to learn my language, my customs, my cultures, and do things the way I do. We will essentially absorb you into our culture. And this is where the people of God find themselves when the words of Jeremiah are being written. They're pulled from their holy land into a place where sexual acts are performed as acts of worship, to a place where children are sacrificed if they're not fit enough to survive, to a place with pagan gods and pagan rituals and weird sacrifices, with temples with unspeakable and unthinkable things going on. The people of Israel find themselves pulled into Babylon. You might wonder what God tells them. You might wonder what God is going to say. Does he say, you guys, be careful out there. As a matter of fact, don't go to the city. Go out to the caves. Maybe they'll let you get by in the caves and you could form these little cave communities and wait till this thing blows over. Maybe God would tell them, hold fast and, and, and resist and make it back to your land and you'll get through this. Or maybe God would say, this too shall pass. Just keep your head down. Let some time go by. A couple generations later, we'll win this thing back. No, that is not what God tells them. Jeremiah 29. He says these words, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your young sons and give your daughters in marriage so that you too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you in exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Which I find fascinating. Because in this time and in this place, in that culture, where things were easily more depraved than they are now, God says, I'm calling you into that culture to engage it. I'm calling you to flourish there. I'm causing you to live amongst these people. I'm causing you to seek the goodness and flourishing of your city because when it flourishes, you too will flourish. I'm calling you to live as a light in this land to the people there so that they can get a glimpse of my goodness. I'm calling you to go public with your faith. I'm calling you to engage. And I find this fascinating because these people of God find themselves in a land that's not their own in a culture that is completely broken and fractured. And God doesn't say, hey, I'm going to pull you out of that culture. He says, I'm sending you there to fix it and to shine from within it 
momentum. I believe that's our call today. Oh my goodness, it is so easy to look around and point a finger at so many things that are not how they're supposed to be. We are in fact in a fallen world and in the middle of a broken culture. But the heart of our God is not that we would hide out, that we would run from it, that we would despise it. The heart of our Father is that we would engage it. Which brings me to the back half of my run-on sentence. It says, God's plan has always been a people who would engage a fallen world, but here's the deal. I must decide how I will engage. That's first person, so you have to deal with that truth. You have to decide how you are going to engage. When you have something on the news that sickens you, when you see something in culture that's not godly, when you see something around you that makes you long to just get out of here into heaven one day, you have to decide how you are going to engage with a fallen world. Now, typically, people choose one of three roads. You insulate, you invade, or you influence. Insulate, invade, or influence. Let's talk about these. You can look at a fallen world and decide to insulate. You can say, you know what? It is gross out there. There are harmful, bad things out there. I am going to insulate my family and myself. I'll create a social enclave for my children so they don't have to be in a mix with those things out there. I will tell them that they're not allowed to read Harry Potter and that CNN or Fox. They can't watch those depending on which one you've chosen to be the representation of the devil here on earth. You can say, we don't want that world to touch us. We're going to sit here. We're going to find a church full of people who believe the same things as us, we are going to consider ourselves the holy few and we will wait for Jesus to come take us away from this horrible place. You can do that. But there's just one problem. That's not what Jesus did with you. He didn't look down at your brokenness, at your internet search history, the places you've been, the people you've been with, the things you've done, your past, your brokenness, your failure. He didn't look at those things and say, hey, I'm going to sit here comfortably in heaven. Come knock on the door when you've cleaned all that up. No, he engaged. He stepped into your world. He came to you because he's a God of engagement. You could also decide to invade. Now, you can always tell who's become an invader because of their, their social media posts. It's the easiest way to spot an invader. And honestly, to their credit, invaders usually start out in a good place. They see something in culture that just sickens them. They see the culture moving farther and farther and farther from God and now it's just like this and it's gross or they see something that's socially off-putting or ethically wrong and they, they go to do something about it but usually the problem comes when they go to do something about it. And, and they see this mess and it's like they go, they grab, instead of something to clean the carpet, they grab a bottle of red wine, start pouring red wine on the stain, scrubbing it and then they keep wondering why the stain keeps getting worse. But that's what happens with invaders. When you fight a godless culture with godless tactics, things only get worse. And here's what happens when you choose to invade. You make a point, 
but you lose your influence. You may get your point out there, but what you do in the process is train everyone to put their fingers in their ears and look away when you have something to say. My friends, this is where Jesus gives us a better way. Jesus does not call us to walk the road of insulation. He doesn't call us to walk the road of invasion. He calls us to walk the road of influence. Listen to Matthew 5.13. Listen to the word images that Jesus so carefully chooses. You are the salt of the world. But if salt loses its saltiness, how could it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. Jesus says you're salt. You're light. This is influence language, right? Salt influences the environment around it. One time when Britt and I were dating, she wanted to be sweet and nice and kind, and she decided to bake me a batch of sugar cookies. I think I was down at our school campus, and uh, she lived about 40 minutes away. She woke up early, and she went to bake some sugar cookies. She was going to take them to me, and uh, she was staying at her sister's house, and she was going to bake, and she took that big clear tub of that white grainy substance down from the shelf and added the two cups of it like you're supposed to when you make sugar cookies, and she was careful, and she was sweet, and she was kind, and she mixed them with care and love. and there was only one problem and we didn't discover the problem until she had taken the cookies and put them on this nice tray and covered them with the the cellophane and then drove them the 40 minutes down from me and says hey I baked you these cookies I really want you to try one I saved the first one for you and I took a bite and I was so grateful but at the same time in an instant I realized that the white grainy substance from the little container was not sugar it was salt Now, I'll give you a a question I want you to answer out loud. How many bites do you think it took me to realize there was salt in that cookie and not sugar? Go on. One bite. It didn't take four bites. It It could have been a nibble. Why? Because salt influences the environment around it. Jesus says you are to be salt. Light influences the, the, the environment around it. If you even have a small bit of light in a dark room, it shines bright. It can be a cloudy day and you never have to wonder when the sun came up because light influences the environment around it. For that reason, we are going to be a church that seeks influence in the world around us. How are we going to do that? By making the world better and brighter in Jesus' name. Done right, salt makes things better, light makes things brighter. Do I need to talk about chips and salsa again or do you guys got this? I am a chips and salsa, I will continue to say, I'm a chips and salsa aficionado. The Chili's has been my front runner for a long time. I will tell you, my mouth is watering, and in Chula Vista, I have found a chip that may put Chili's out of business. I'll talk to you about that some other time. Message us or leave something in the chat, and we'll get back to you. But here's the deal. Everybody in my family knows a warm basket of Chili's chips and salsa is to die for. They fry those things up fresh. They are thin. This one is the one where the three of them are rolled into one. I just grab it and bite the end off of it and make a mess. But every single one of us in our family knows when that basket lands on the table, we do something. We grab the salt because the salt makes the chips better. Now, 
I don't have to tell you that light makes things brighter, but here's what I want you to see. This is not only our challenge, but our strategy. We are called by Jesus to go into the world to make it better and brighter in Jesus' name. We're going to be a church that realizes both personally and corporately we're here to make the world better and brighter. We're going to be a church that says, when our city wins, we've won. And we're going to look for ways to bless our city. We're going to be a church that goes into our workplaces, our teams, our kids' practices, our schools, our teams, all the places we go, and we're going to go knowing we have been sent there to make them better and brighter in Jesus' name. We're not going to insulate ourselves from our city. We're not going to invade our city with obnoxious speech. We are going to seek influence by making the world around us better and brighter one place at a time. That's where we're going. Now we're building culture in the city. And we've been answering these words. People like us do things like these. People like us know we're here to make the world better and brighter in Jesus' name. People like us know we want to be an influence, not just a holy few who are hiding out. So what do we do? I'll give you a few. Number one, we need to know where we are called to shine. You need to know where you're called to shine. You need to know your alignment and assignment. I remember in eighth grade, my friend Cedric said, hey, Matt, you should play football. I was like, okay. He goes, dude, you would be a killer strong safety. I go, what's a strong safety? He goes, trust me. We called it Apache uh, on a little 5-2 defense. Apache sounded cool. I was like, I'm in. I showed up the first day of the little summer camp we had for football. I said, I'm here to play Apache. And they're like, okay, do you know what one is? I said, no, sir. He goes, all right, take a look at this. He pulled up a chart similar to this. He said, Apache is our strong safety. Now, there's two simple responsibilities. If they go back to pass the ball, you have the flat. This is your area right here for any, pad, any uh, receivers that are coming through your lane. If they run the ball, don't worry. Our defensive end will take care of the quarterback. You take the pitch man. You take the running back. If it gets pitched to him, you hit him. And I said, easy enough. This is my alignment. This is my assignment. I've got the flats, and I've got that kid right there. I went to each game knowing my alignment and my assignment. And because I did, I knew what to do. The beginning of shining in the world around you is that you would know your alignment and your assignment. Where is it that God has placed you so you can shine? Could be your workplace. Could be the little group of parents who are watching the kids practice next to you each week. Could be your hallways. Could be that club you're a part of. Could be your restaurant. Could be your team. Where is your place? You have to start there because when I know my place, I can then begin to prepare. I can prepare by thinking of the people I want to bless. I can prepare by thinking who's going to be there. I can prepare by praying and going, God, I'm going in here today, but I'm also going in here sent by you. Would you show me how to shine in front of these people? See, this matters because when we go to places, we, we don't actually see all there is to see. We only see what we are prepared to see. Two weeks ago, we talked about Jesus going into Jericho, and there was that crowd, and there was disciples, and there were people, and there were Pharisees, and there were those looking on, and then there was a man in a tree, and Jesus was the only one there who saw the man in the tree. And i got to say, I think it was because Jesus went into that town looking for who it was who was looking for him. 
He was prepared as he went in. That preparation gave him purpose. That purpose caused that moment that we now have recorded forever. Are you prepared? Better and brighter people know where they are called to shine. Two, people like us do salt and light things. Duh. Jesus said these two simple phrases. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. These are not suggestions. This is King Jesus. This is commandment. This isn't like, hey, I know you got a lot going on this week and things are kind of rough and you just went back to school and you're trying to take classes and you got to pull some more hours at work. If you wouldn't mind, could you go and do this? No, don't get Jesus twisted. That's not our Savior. Don't pat King Jesus on the head again and go, okay, I'll do that when I have time. He says, no, this is who you are. This is what I see in you. This is your identity. That is important because activity always follows identity. You get this because some of you got married. Prior to getting married, you were enjoying that bachelorette life. You were coming and going as you pleased. You had your friends. You had your circles. You had your brunches. You could go very freely. But then he put a ring on it. Then you walked down that aisle. And then you put a ring back on him. And his life changed and your life changed almost immediately. You started doing married people things. You started picking furniture. You never thought you'd be at the Home Depot on a Saturday, but you were. What happened? Your identity changed and your activities followed. You joined that team and all of a sudden you were a part of a team and you are now a team member and you started doing team member things. Jesus says you are salt and light. We are to do salt and light things. Uh, there's a million ways you can do this. I'll tell you how we do it. One of the places God has called us to shine is in our neighborhood. Now, I grew up grilling. I grew up smoking meats. I grew up barbecuing. been doing it for the last 30 years, and I'm only 37 right now. So we cook. And I loved going to Costco and getting those three packs of the St. Louis-style ribs. And I used to have a pretty straightforward system. I grill two. I freeze one. I grill one that my family and I tear through right away. The second rack of ribs just sits there in the fridge for the next few days as we snack on them. The third, I keep on hand just in case I ever need ribs. But God sent us into this neighborhood. And he sent us there to make a difference. And so we've started, anytime we grill something good, a little circuit where we cook extra and we send it to the neighbors around. We got a whole loop we do now. We like divide and conquer. And so I had to learn that I make one rack of ribs that we eat and sometimes another one and sometimes two more that we're going to go send to the neighbors as one simple way to connect and shine. Now, there's millions of ways you could do this. Here's the deal. It's easy to tell if you're doing it or not. Just ask the questions. Would your neighbor say your neighborhood's better and brighter because of you? Would your coworkers say the workplace is better and brighter because of you? Would your classmates or people who do not know Jesus point to you and say that their lives are better and brighter because they know you. Would they? Here's the last one. People like us seem small. And I'll just address the tension that's unfolding as I talk to you guys today. Um, I get it. You're going, he's talking about chains in the world and he does not know how busy I am. He's talking about change the world, but sometimes I have a trouble just talking to a stranger. He's talking about change the world, and I'm having trouble keeping my bed sheets changed right now. You're talking about change the world, and Matt, I don't think I can do that. But here's the deal. I'm not telling you to change the world. I'm telling you, you have the power to change someone's world. 
And I'm telling you, you have no idea what your love, your kindness, your valuing of people and service could do in Jesus' name. So I'm telling you to aim small. You guys remember the movie The Patriot. Some of you who are into firearms know the phrase, aim small, miss small. And what they actually say in there is that by focusing on a smaller target, your accuracy goes way higher. I believe that's true for us. They asked Mother Teresa, how are you going to feed the entire world? She said, I'm going to start with one. Because she knew that even the greatest movements start really, really small. And you have no idea what your acts of kindness can do in Jesus' name. Because here's the deal. We believe in the God of multiplication. He took some fish and some loaves and he multiplied it into a lunch for thousands. He took some fishermen and he multiplied their influence across generations. He saw a widow give a small offering and he called it a blessing. He's a God of multiplication and he can take your small offerings. He can take your small gestures. He can take your kindness. He can take your love. He can take the way you value others and turn it into hope and life change in real people and the restoration of an entire city. And guys, that's what we're here for. I love you. Have a good week. Peace.